The show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking for healthcare innovators and digital teams. Here on the Healthcare App, we believe that the healthcare experience has to change, and we're trying to do something about it. We can either stand back and let it take another 50 years, or we can jump in right now. And I think you know how we roll. We're not going to coast in neutral. We're hitting the gas. Come be a part of it. Each week, we talk about the topics that you need to know about and act on to be part of the digital transformation movement. We share tips on shifting the way that healthcare is experienced digitally and the backstage strategies for marketing, operations, and digital teams to drop the silos and stay ahead of the curve. We recently passed 160 episodes and three years on the air. We're now in season five, which is our quest to answer whether it's even possible to provide the healthcare experience that consumers desire. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about innovation and connection. A big part of building the healthcare of tomorrow is how we train the doctors of tomorrow. So what would you tell them if you had the chance? I'll talk about that. Then Sharice Maynard is in the house to share some provocative thinking about health IT culture, community, and clubhouse. This episode is jam-packed and we have a lot to share along the way. It's time to dive right in. You ready? Let's go. of the week. A big part of building the healthcare of tomorrow is how we train the doctors of tomorrow. So what would you say if you were speaking to them? What advice would you give? I had such an opportunity to speak recently to the American Medical Student Association, and I shared a couple of trends that I'm keeping my eyes on. At a basic level, I talked about two words that describe the present state of the state when it comes to digital health, innovation and connection. Here are three key points that I brought up. First, This is the greatest period in the history of digital health innovation. In 2020, we saw a record-breaking $14 billion of capital invested into digital health, and it isn't slowing down anytime soon. In the first quarter of 2021, investors doubled down on digital health, pouring another $6.7 billion into the sector, making it the most funded quarter to date, according to Rock Health. Their chief operating officer, Megan Zweig, said 2021 is an entrepreneur's market that rewards fast growth with unprecedented capital and exit opportunities. We're also seeing the disruptors continue on their journey of changing the game. Amazon built its own healthcare service for employees, and now they're selling it to companies like Precor, which was bought by Peloton. Within days, Walmart announced their purchase of MeMD, the telehealth platform to add virtual care and urgent care visits. The point is that with so many digital tools hitting the scene, doctors can learn this technology and use it to keep healthcare more human. It's not an either or, you know, doctors or robots. Second, this is the greatest period of patient choice. We don't have to choose a doctor at a hospital or clinic. We can choose retail health. We can choose direct primary care models that cut out the middlemen and are incentivized to keep patients healthy. 
We can choose subscription-based concierge practices, and we can choose the entire breadth of offerings involved in the hospital at home category. We don't have to wait until we're sick to engage in our own healthcare either. The point is that patients have options, so treat them like humans so they trust you. Third, clinicians have the opportunity to use social media, podcasts, and other digital content creation to improve the health of patient populations, including their own. I'm talking about everything from self-care to connecting with peers to actively fighting health misinformation. We can use content to change the discussion and connect more as humans. It can be difficult to navigate all the nuances of your digital presence, but the alternative is to ignore it at your own risk. The point is that we all have a basic human need for connection and it isn't going away. So we might as well learn to use the tools at our disposal to do it the right way. I'm bullish on the progress we're making in the medical community. Let's build trust, not erode it. Let's leverage the promise of digital health, not ignore it. Let's keep innovation and connection on our radar screen. That's how we'll continue to make progress toward the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the week. The flow, the flow, the flow. Hey, listeners, this is going to be a treat. I am so excited to have Sharice with us here. Sharice Maynard, she's a rock star, like all around, a rock star health tech strategist, writer, key opinion leader, co host of the Hit Like a Girl podcast. She does it all, genuinely. Sharice, welcome to the Healthcare Wrap. Hi, Darren. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I can't wait to see people in person. Like, I'm dying here. How do we do this? <laughs> I mean, I think we've come up with a, a serious um, answer to that question. You know, right now we're getting into this Hit Like a Girl, Hit the Trail tour. I'm super excited about it. I hope other people are too. But what we thought was that doing this type of venture would get people safely back out onto, you know, platforms and public spaces where we can meet up and have serious conversations and empower women at the same time. So we're doing this hike across the country, 25 states, 93 days, just us, our thoughts, and um, a bunch of badass tech. How about that? <laughs> uh, I kind of love the idea. When I first heard about this, I was just psyched. And I really do plan on seeing you guys. So is this day one of the tour? This is technically day one. We had launch day yesterday, which was uh, myself and um, Joy Rios getting from our um, starting points. You know, Joy's from Baja, Mexico, and I'm coming from the East Coast of uh, Maryland. So we had to actually get to California to start this journey. So this is day one now, but we had did have our launch, launch day yesterday. And it was kind of exciting watching each other coming from where we were and getting to this point. So yeah, we're actually getting on the road today. So it wasn't like get together and then like, oh, this is a bad idea. Let's just forget about this. No, I, you know what, Jared? I actually wear a t-shirt all the time because I always encourage like 25 crazy ideas around health tech, you know, daily. I believe in that strongly. So I wear this t-shirt that says, oh, that's a horrible idea. What time? So, you know, I'm all for innovative ideas or new things to get people together to talk about tech and how we can solve some of the healthcare problems. And this is, you know, a recreational tool to do it. This is something that I believe in getting outside and hiking and that type of thing. So why not? Seriously, why not? I love everything about it. So tell us again, 25 states, how many days? 93 days. And then where do you end up? We end up in Las Vegas on the launch day of HIMSS 21. We're excited because they're actually in partnership with us. So our final hike is with HIMSS on August 9th, the launch day for HIMSS 21. This is going to be amazing. And you're gonna be, are you going to be recording along the way, like for the podcast? Or how is that going to work? 
we're recording so much for not only the podcast, but different um, sponsors are doing their own content. I'm doing some for my own ventures and Joy's doing some. So there's a lot of content being gathered. I think we have a drone project that's going on. So yeah, we're following the whole trail across the state because, you know, we're hitting it from the southern area and then we're coming back through the northern areas and back out west. So I'm excited about it. You know, we're, it'll be a lot of taping and editing. You know, don't let Joy know, but the editing's going to fall through her. <laughs> but I'm excited about it. I can't wait. I'm going to be following it along the way, folks. I already am. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to to see where this goes. There's a map of it online and I can link to that in the show notes. But yeah, so many cool things about this tour. And I think that safely answers our typical icebreaker question too of like, what's the latest awesome thing? Because everything about this is super fun, super amazing. And no surprise, genuinely coming from, from the likes of yourself and, and Joy. I mean, just a lot of fun uh, coming around this. It's in a way kind of, you know, signaling to me. I mean, I keep waiting for somebody to tell you like, look, we may never get back to a full normal, you know, quote unquote normal, but some things of life can get back to the way, you know, that we were used to them. And one of those things is seeing people in the industry in person, meeting up, having fun, having great conversations. And so for this to be happening was just kind of one of those signals to my brain of like, okay, that aspect of life does seem to be coming back. And that, that, that brings me nothing but happiness. So, well, goodness, Sharice, uh, so much to talk about here because I think kind of kind of rounding out this part of the conversation, we're all trying to figure out because we haven't had that time in person and, and our conversations have changed. We don't know really what we should be talking about these days. At least I don't. I don't know, you know, if the things that, that I bring up that, that I feel like are, are that I'm hearing, if that's really the thing or not, or if it, you know, it's kind of a lot of uh, uh, hype that's filled in along the way. I'd love to hear just very open-ended when we talk about healthcare and tech, health IT, what should we be thinking about right now? Like what's on your radar right now? I will tell you, Jared, that, you know, things come and go in um, healthcare. And I always say healthcare, particularly health IT in the United States, is like British fashion. It's always five years behind the trend, right? So we were talking about a lot of things post uh, pre-pandemic. And during the pandemic, we were like, well, let's keep sit still for a minute and think about what we should be talking about. But one of the things that shows up for me always that we haven't solved and that I always say from an interoperability standpoint, it's the only thing that all of health tech agrees on and it's how to communicate badly. So if you look at every facet of healthcare, look at the whole spectrum, communications is an area that we have never gotten right. And all sorts of ways from the way we teach medicine to the way we deliver care, to the way we allow patients to seem accountability for their care. We've never gotten that right. And it's one of those things that although We've been talking about it a long time. It's very much here in our, our spaces. If you look at a couple of things, first, the pandemic taught us that you have to get things to scale quickly and that you can get them to scale quickly if you communicate properly what's going on, what you're going to do, kiss it for people, keep it short and simple with your um, idea and your scalability and get it to market. The second thing is we learned that we can see patients not just in these traditional spaces, we can see patients where patients want to be seen at a time that's convenient for them. So again, communicating or listening to patients allowed us to do that. And then moving forward, we know that if we put too many regulations in place, 
it damages the relationship between the doctor and the patient. So all of that came out of this period. And so going forward, communications 100% is the thing we should be talking about right now. I love that. And communications is so different when you talked about the different types of relationships, like you said, from provider to patient versus to provider in a, in a peer setting, or even the one that I'm really intrigued about, you mentioned medical education to begin with, like in medical school, the type of education that is taught there and the provider relationships that are created in that way, there are a lot of, like, there's more things that we need to consider and be aware of than ever before. And I think that recognition, like, let's just accept it. Like, let's accept the fact that things are evolving in every aspect of a provider's relationship and that the way to to get through that is to communicate better. I love how you kind of brought all that together. What makes that so hard? <laughs> I know this is a big question, but from what you see, like, in your opinion, why is it so hard for us to figure out communications? Well, a couple of things. From If you look at it from a medical education standpoint, it is a cultural silence and willful ignorance, in my opinion. That might not be a welcome opinion, but 100% it is what it is. Over the summer, last summer and parts of the fall, I was giving um, talks on what I call from door to floor, which is how we train physicians in this country. We train them to treat disease, not patients. So we know from several studies that doctors by year three of medicine lose their empathy. There were no systems in place to put that back in. And from that point forward, year three, doctors are steadily losing their ability to communicate with patients. And particularly certain segments of the population, there's a failing there and it has not been addressed. So when you think about that from door to floor, if you're coming into a medical school you should be taught how to deal with patients from the time you get there to the time you leave residency, right? And we failed in that area. It's an issue that really needs to be worked on. But then you think about what else goes into taking care of that patient. The communication inside the room where the doctor and the patient are. Um, we like to think that there's just a doctor and patient there, but we know that there are at least 10 other interests in the room. Who's, who's getting paid? Who's credentialing? who wants to coordinate this care, those types of things are all going on. So all those players are trying to get what they need to be seen, to be seen and taken care of. That's a whole other thing. And then you have the patient's journey inside that room. That patient is talking to a person that they may not trust, that they may not feel comfortable with. So we have an issue of um, cultural competency and care that's not being handled. We also have the problem of internal health, which is a, an initiative I'm working on particularly right now we have an epidemic of morbidity for women from marginalized backgrounds dying in childbirth in this country. It's the most ridiculous thing you can think of, right, because of the modern medicine that we have available to us. But one of the issues there is the communication. Most women report, and I don't want to give actual numbers, but they exist. I can send them to you. That particularly if they're from a marginalized background, black and brown women, if they report symptoms of pain during pregnancy, they are more likely not to be believed in their white counterparts, and it results in a 30% morbidity rate for women of color. We need to fix that. If a doctor does not know how to communicate and assess pain and symptoms for certain segments of the population, that is an issue, a systemic issue that we need to tackle. It is not the patient's fault or the patient's job to train doctors once they already hit the floor. A hundred thousand percent. A hundred thousand percent, Sharice. I'm so glad you brought that up. I feel like when we start talking systemic issues here that people just say, well, that's too big of an issue for us to even tackle or handle. And then they turn themselves off right away 
to making progress, to making, to having some momentum in that area. Are you encouraged by the the types of conversations that are happening around these types of systemic issues these days compared to, you know, maybe a year or two ago? Have they evolved and are you encouraged by that change? I will say they have evolved. And what I'm seeing is that the conversations are becoming more public. Now, we see that with some um, apps like Clubhouse coming online, those conversations can be brought up in a way that institutions can't silence them, right? So we can get those conversations had publicly and also try to impact change in that area. I think one of the things that fascinated me, again, I mentioned Clubhouse, but I assure you I'm not receiving any money to do so. But what has happened there is that medicine, doctors, and then health tech have really taken over that platform. There are so many interesting conversations there and so much thought leadership there. Actionable conversations that people can take from that platform and go impact change in their communities and hospitals and their systems and that type of thing. So that's encouraging. Now, where I think we're falling short is that there's this kind of... um, fatigue over cultural issues right now. So it's like, oh yeah, we've heard that all before, racism, systemic this and that and the other. So people grow tired of it. What needs to happen is we need to be more systemic about how we address them. So no one wants to, you know, least of all me, (laughs) wants to sit around and say, hey, you're not inclusive or you're not allowing this segment of a population to have a voice. But if we put systems in place that are more intuitive in the system, stuff like masking. So if, and I don't mean masking, which, you know, is a good idea, but the masking I'm talking about is like patient identifiers. We should not have patients having to disclose male or female on forms and stuff like that. What you're doing is you're then causing more harm to the patient if they don't identify with either of those things. And that's just an example, right? So we see that in so many different ways inside of a doctor's office, inside of a hospital. Because our, our, a lot of our healthcare in the U.S. is what I call checkbox health, like I got to check off these forms for this patient to get paid. We don't identify what actually the patient wants. The patient wants a conversation with someone who genuinely cares about their outcome. They don't want to sit there and go over their SEOH with you, knowing full well you don't care. You just need to get paid. So that's the type of things we need to correct for marginalized communities and for you know, all communities, because the doctor-patient relationship must be protected. If tech is going to be seen as working, it needs to also disappear. So a patient shouldn't have to worry about their doctor having their head in a um, EHR when they should be talking to them. And the 15 minutes that they're with them, it needs to be a very nurturing relationship and something where both parties can learn from each other. So while I'm encouraged, what worries me is the fatigue that we're seeing. Hey, this is Scott Burgess from Healthcare 360, the fair and balanced healthcare podcast, exploring everything you wish you knew about healthcare, but don't. Join us weekly in an open, transparent conversation with some of the biggest names in the healthcare business, surrounding this one question and one question only. Had you known there were other options to exhaust and explore before you travel down the traditional healthcare route, how would you weigh those options against what you think healthcare and medicine really is. For more information about Healthcare 360 and how together we can help transform lives, visit scotteburgess.com, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us anywhere you enjoy listening. See you there. So tell me what an individual provider can do. How can they help keep the momentum going and have the conversations that we need to be having? What can an individual provider do? providers have the simplest job in the world in that they show up and ask, this is what I say all the time, 
Ask your patient how have they been since their last visit and mean it. Don't sit there and start plucking away or putting something in a chart. Everybody knows your time is valuable, but find out what's going on with your patient. If a patient knows that you're there because you care about really what's going on with them, they will be more open. You'll get more fruitful information and data out of that conversation, and you won't have to worry about chasing the information or sending them certain things after the initial consultation and that type of thing. They'll give it to you because they know that you are there. You come in peace and in good faith. So that's the simplest thing. Show up for your patients, talk to them, and mean it when you say, how are you doing since our last visit? The other thing they can do, physicians really need to get more involved in innovation. I don't know why some companies push back against including the physician voice, but 100%, because of the problem of physician burnout and the problem of patient communication and patient experience, physicians 100% should be involved in the development of health IT products. That would go a long way. Yeah, are we seeing any progress there in, in terms of more providers being involved with health IT innovation? Are you seeing anything there that's just caught your attention or just made you think that, hey, yeah, we're making progress here? I have seen some interesting ones. I don't like to necessarily give shout outs all the time, but one group, what is it, Consejo um, Sano out of um, LA, they actually have a competency in care and cultural care platform they actually have a doctor that works with them and they are going above and beyond to make sure that providers who work with persons from marginalized backgrounds can understand how to really work with them. Their tech reflects that. I think it's kind of exciting that that's been going on. Now, I will say I am seeing also physicians starting their own companies, which is exciting. But as we know, all physicians are businessmen. So that requires a little bit of um input from other areas of health tech to get them up to scale and that type of thing. But I'm encouraged that they're trying it right now. They're getting involved in the funding for it and that type of thing. And that's very encouraging because it's what we need. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What else in the health IT community is exciting you these days that's giving you some hope of, hey, we're we're making progress in other areas. What else out there that we haven't covered yet? Some of the things that are exciting for me right now and this won't be, this will seem a little bit on trend, but for me, it, it's a little bit exciting. NFTs um, coming from the health sector, that's kind of exciting. But also VR coming to the space, VR using AI to come to the space. I think that's going to work wonders for mental health and for also oncology. And we're seeing it in, again, the maternal health space, which is exciting. I think any innovation that allows patients to understand the journey they're about to embark on that encourages them to be preventive with their health or encourages them to seek out the right type of help when they need it and how to interact with their own chronic illnesses. I think that's amazing. So I think VR is doing a lot of great things for the industry there. The only thing that worries me about VR in this space is that once again, we have systems not realizing that mental and physical health are not mutually exclusive. So scaling those models and getting them reimbursed and that type of thing is a huge issue right now. I'm actually working on a project right now where we're trying to reimbursement models for VR in the uh, healthcare space. Oh, I love it. You know what I always love? And again, I've been following you for so many years now. I love all the content that you put out because it seems like it's maybe it's just, you know, the way you do it, but you're always trying to tie the tech itself to, at the end of the day, making healthcare more human. You're always tying it back to an, an experience, a relationship. 
you know, a person, a human being at the end of the day. And I think that's key. Like we have to keep that focus there or we're just going to keep spinning in circles. And and I admire that for very clearly, you know, one of the perspectives that you put out there in the community. You did mention Clubhouse. So, you know, I'm dying, I'm dying to ask. I mean, you know, I've been able to sit in and join a couple of rooms that, that you've had set up here. Your take on Clubhouse right now for healthcare in particular, healthcare, health tech, what are you seeing? What are you liking? What are you wishing we were seeing more of? What I'm seeing is the, we see a lot of VCs interested in healthcare on that platform, getting involved in those conversations and those rooms, which is great. That's fine. But I, I always say you have to be careful when you bring money into health tech, particularly in technology, 100%, spend all the money you want. But in health tech, if companies don't understand the healthcare ecosystem, what you have is a big problem because the, the issue of scalability comes to mind. What Clubhouse does is allows for you to clear up some of those conversations and clear some of those muddy waters, which is awesome. I wish more um, health tech people, particularly um, women, would get on that platform and explain how their healthcare product solves the problem and encourage other people to get on that platform and explain their solutions. Because if you can go in those spaces and cast the wide net, which you can on Clubhouse, more people will get involved in the process of getting these things to market, the ones that need to go to the market, the ones that truly help and impact outcomes for patients and that type of thing. So that's one of the things with Clubhouse I like, because you can go there and you can get the information some of the clubs I participate in, like Hit Like a Girl or Hit Mick or a Med Starter, they're great because you can go in and these are honest conversations, open conversations. The Hit Like a Girl um, pod conversations are some of the most open ones had on Clubhouse and you don't have to worry about getting shut down, right? It's not TikTok. But the other ones, the healthcare marketing, it, those conversations are ripe with information that tells people how to go down the right path instead of just these tech guys talking about, oh, I've got this healthcare solution. And all of us are sitting there saying, well, there's no problem for that. What problem are you answering? But they'll get money thrown at them. And the next thing you know, they're shut down. I prefer those conversations on Clubhouse where you can see how the tech um, works, what's actionable about it and how it can change lives. And like you were mentioning, how it can build relationships between the physician and the patient at the end of the day. Do you think part of that is the format itself, kind of the social audio where you're not having to keep up a stream anywhere, like, you know, the audio disappears, like there's no recording of it, at least through the app. I mean, I've, I'm aware of ways you can actually, you know, record it through screen share, you know, screenshotting on your own device and, and whatnot. But do you think that format makes it like, that's one of the reasons why, those more honest conversations can happen? I think 100% is. I mean, you think about how health tech is supposed to fit in patients' lives and doctors' lives and that type of thing. It's supposed to be seamless, right? It's supposed to kind of disappear in the background while these relationships are built. Clubhouse accomplishes that same thing. You can enter a, a conversation on Clubhouse, a, a rich conversation, and reach a lot of uh, people, but you don't have to worry about the app itself. You can go about your daily life and still have these amazing conversations. One day I was on one of my um, hikes and I had a conversation about um, sex tech and how to build scale sex technology for oncology patients and that type of um, thing. And these are amazing conversations that people may not have thought about, but Clubhouse allows that. And I think that's why people buy into it because it doesn't take another take real estate out of your day and that type of thing. Oh yeah. My favorite part is being able to multitask while I'm listening to that. I mean, just like a podcast, just like other audio content. I think that's, that's the piece I'm really latching on to. And especially, 
being able to, I mean, yeah, when we're on our, our Hitmic room or, or, you know, some of these other uh, clubs we've been able to be in at the same time, it is, that's my favorite part. Like I'm still being able to mm-hmm. get stuff done. It's different than a webinar, you know, or even a, you know, YouTube video. And there's value to each of those in their own way. But it was, I felt like I was in a room with friends while I was still getting work done from my home office versus just listening to, you know, some stale webinar or whatever. So there's some pieces that are always going to be going for it in that format. It'll be interesting now that it's available on Android, you know, what that does. Right. So yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Yep. Um, yeah, all that, you know, and even with um, Amazon going with growing pains in this space and that type of thing, I'm kind of excited how they're going to use consumerism to make healthcare more accessible. And it's a company people don't readily embrace, but I'm like from a logistics and an access point, Amazon to me is an exciting company to watch. I was just telling um, Tech Eye earlier today, some of the other companies I'm watching right now is um, Engine for NFTs and um, healthcare space and that type of thing. And I'm kind of excited. Behavior is another one. So we're seeing some robust things coming out of this post-pandemic phase. And I'm looking forward to I've never been more excited about health tech than I am right now because some of the players that are here, some of us who are like, you know, re-energized to get things done and in the right way for the right reasons. I'm, I'm just excited about it all. Oh, I love it. Well, it comes across and I'm genuinely excited to come back to this whole tour as we wrap up our, our conversation here. I wish we could keep going. I'm going to let you get on the road here, Sharice, and, and uh, very excited to hear uh, everything that's going to come out of the tour. For a, a couple of questions people might have is how do they connect with you? And then if they want to be part of the tour, if they want to like meet up and see you guys, how do they find out? Well, I'm at Sharice May MBA on Twitter. I'm also at Sharice M on IG and on TikTok. So that's how they can find me. I'm at Sharice Maynard and at LinkedIn. So health, health IT really is a space that I invite everybody into. I don't care if you've got an idea, let's talk about it. So the Hit Like a Girl pod crew, where we're going to be and all that kind of stuff, you can follow it easily because all platforms, it's Hit Like a Girl pod. If you put that in your um, browser on any of those platforms, we should come up and follow the whole journey. And Jared, I think I'm doing a wrap for you on one of these um, segments while we're on the road. I can't wait for you to hear it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Yep. We're making it happen. <laughs> that's that's a treat. Oh, wow. And a perfect way to wrap up here, Sharice, again, I, I wish we had more time here, but so glad to uh, that you gave us a few minutes and a ton to think about. Best of luck on all you're doing. Can't wait to follow you guys as you hit the road and uh, stay safe along the way. Be well. And uh, thanks again for giving us a few minutes today. Thanks again, Jared. You take care. Ed Marks here with Digital Voices, the only podcast for chief digital officers across all of healthcare and life sciences. Digital Voices is about the voice of the patient, the provider, the payer, pharma, big tech, retail, public health, really any part of the healthcare and life sciences ecosystem, that's the digital voice we want to capture as we learn and break barriers across the entire spectrum. Join us weekly as we drop our pod. Hey, thanks to Sharice, and thank you so much for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation, and if you did, 
Would you please, would you do us a favor real quick? Would you go subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast? Healthcare Wrap is a member of the Shift.Health Content Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other shows in the Shift.Health Content Network. Folks, we have 28 podcasts, we have seven video series, and we have more on the way. Go check it all out at Shift.Health. It's all free and available on demand. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap. Thank you.